This is Mackenzie Milton. This is Steve Levy from ESPN. And you're listening to One Night Stand. And you're listening to One Night Stand. Start with straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. Flirt with the hood rats, then pop models. Uh-huh. Start with yeah. straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. This is One Night Stand, presented by SeatGeek. Use promo code UCFPROBLEMS for $20 off your order. That's SeatGeek, promo code UCFPROBLEMS. What up, night fans? It's Tuesday, October 29th, Halloween Eve Eve. On today's show, we recap UCF's big road win in Philly. We have squints on to break down the offense over the last couple weeks. We talk about the upcoming matchup versus Houston and answer all of your questions in Moo's mailbag. Also, basketball starts in just about a week and a half, so we're going to do a little season preview and start to get amped up for that. And coming off a red-hot 3-0 week with his picks, I'm here with... Money Moo, UCF, makes a statement with arguably their most complete game of the year so far. A 63-21 spanking of the Temple Owls, led by Otis Anderson's career-high rushing performance. Like you said, the most complete game of the year. We didn't give up a point in the second half. It felt like we kind of were a little sloppy in the beginning, and then we just completely shut them down in the second half. This is the road win we've been waiting for all season. This is how we should have played on the road all year. And we're finally getting it together. And it, it feels good. It feels good to come onto this podcast after a road game and not have like, you know, a line of 10 bullet points of things to complain about. <laughs> I'm with you, man. It, it was tough to find something that we did wrong. I, I got you know, a in the game. A couple, couple of very minor things, but overall, a very complete game. From all phases of the team, you know, the passing, rushing, defense, special defense, teams. Special teams. Uh, okay, <laughs> that coach. was such coach. Oh, I know. <laughs> okay, Coach Heipel. Um, all right, so yeah, let's let's kind of go through the game and then we can talk about um, what stood out to us. So Temple starts off with the ball, runs down the field, eight play, seventy yard touchdown drive. <laughs> What's going through your head? <laughs> I wasn't giving up. I just. You know, we're in for another dogfight. Yeah. That's what I thought the game was going to be before it started. I had no idea that we were going to win by 42 points. Did you bet the spread? ten and a half, Or I, actually, was it 12 at kickoff? I did not. You know, with UCF, I don't bet with my heart. I bet with, you know, the system that I use for all the games. It said it was a no bet, and I never bet against UCF. I didn't bet on the spread. Wish I would have now, but... So the only time I've ever bet against UCF, I'm going to go off track here a little bit, but <laughs> it's kind of worth it. So it was the 0-12 season. And I think I had bet on our spread like the first, like I don't know, five or six games in a row. We didn't cover. Finally, I'm like, all right, I'll bet against us. I bet on the other team, actually. I was like, whatever. Maybe you know we haven't covered. And the other team had the ball, and it was like first and goal on like the two-yard line, and they decided to kneel the ball. And like they actually ended up giving us the ball back. And that's how I lost the spread betting against us. So anyway, yeah, never bet against us. I learned the hard way back in yep, 2015. Don't do it. Uh, so yeah, Temple starts off 7 nothing. I'm like, oh, here we go, man. We're in for a game. And then in true UCF fashion, we clap back 21 unanswered points. And I'm like, all right, everything's fine. 
Temple scores, so it's 21-14. Then we score again. We answer 28-14 then. Force a Temple punt with three minutes or so left in the half. Goes to Otis, and he muffs it. They get the ball on a short field. Next thing you know, 28-21 at halftime, and we're like, uh. So it felt like we dominated that whole first half, but the score didn't reflect that. What were your thoughts kind of heading into halftime? I thought that it the same thing I thought at the beginning of the game. I thought we were in for a dogfight. I thought it was going to be a close game. There was a few things in the first half that really made me smile. The number one thing in this entire game that I absolutely loved was the touchdown drive to put us up 28-14. It was a third down and nine from Temple's 44, kind of no man's land. So this is where Hypel sometimes on like a third and long will try and only get half the yards back rather than trying to get a first down because yeah, they're going to go for it on fourth. One of my small complaints during the game was we had like a third and nine and third and ten, and it seems like we just like handed the ball off with not trying to get the first down and then punted. And a couple of people were upset about that on social media, but then I'll let you continue. So third and nine, Dylan Gabriel, to me it looked like a design run. I don't know if he... Yeah, you know, it was. It was definitely a draw play. I don't know if he... Well, yeah. I, I, I think just, so. I, saw, I only saw it once. Well, let Squints determine that. We'll so anyway, that third and nine, he tucks and runs straight up the middle for 11 yards for a first down, and I got a, I got a grin. <laughs> and then a um, couple plays later, another third and nine, and what do we do? Run the ball right up the middle for four yards. But... Fourth down and five on Temple's 28, and Dylan throws an absolute dime to Trey Nixon, 28 yards to the touchdown. My boy's growing up right yeah. before our eyes. Uh, That's a ballsy uh, fourth down call. I mean, we've got a bunch of little quick routes, you know, a little Gabe Davis slant pass, which seems to be always open just because he can body the defenders. And we kind of go for it all. And that's not saying that was – I mean, I'm sure he has multiple reads and stuff, but I, I like it. it those, <laughs> That's funny because, like, those are the plays where, you know, if he overthrows Nixon or whatever, Twitter's in a dumpster oh, yeah. fire. Like, what yeah, are we sure. doing throwing it deep when we only need five yards? So, and I get that, trust me. And we're like the biggest, like, hindsight 2020 people. But um, I like it. You know, I like being aggressive overall. We're in their territory, and it definitely paid off that time. So I agree. Um, going back to the muff punt, though, by Otis, and I brought up the rule book for this. Someone tweeted this to me. And, if a player makes a valid fair catch signal, the unimpeded opportunity to catch a free or scrimmage kick continues if this player muffs the kick and still has an opportunity to complete the catch. So what that means is that if he muffs it, it bounces off his chest, and he called a fair catch, which Otis did, he still has an opportunity to complete the catch. If he completes the catch, the ball is placed where he first touched it. This protection, so what they're saying is that if you muff the kick, this protection terminates when the kick touches the ground. When the ball touches the ground, you have no more protection. But until then, if you muff the kick so it hits off your chest and goes up in the air, you should have the opportunity to catch it. Now, what happened, regardless of the whistle, it hit off his chest, went right into the defender's chest, and they ruled it was their ball. Well, the ball never touched the ground. So, I'm think That should have been a flag. I don't kick think, catch interference. Well, I don't think it should have been a flag. I'm saying that... He never had the opportunity to catch it, so it should have never been their ball because the ball never touched the ground. And where'd you get this info? That's straight from the straight rule from book. the rule book, dude. Look, we got the NCAA rule book here. So look, I don't know. 
And then that being said, or that rule aside, it sounded like the whistle went off as he was making the catch. I heard the whistle like a split second after it bounced off his chest, which, as you know, sound travel or light travels faster than sound. So that whistle might have been like simultaneous with him as it hit his chest and maybe messed him up. Who knows? Anyway, I don't know. I just wanted to go back to, rule, to the rule book because it was kind of weird because it clearly says he has to be able to catch the ball until it hits the ground and it never hit the ground. It went right to the defender. So who knows? Um, For you older Knights fans, I don't know if you remember, we had a game a while back when Joe Burnett had a punt return against SMU. If you want to see the video, it's on YouTube. Joe Burnett, inadvertent whistle. There was a there was a play where Joe Burnett was making a punt return, does not call for a fair catch, clearly. Refs blow a whistle, and then he ends up running it back for a touchdown. Did the other team stop with the whistle, or did the play no, just the, kind of go the, on? No, everybody kept going. Because no one saw the fair yeah, catch. Yeah, it was like a very faint whistle. Oh, it was like a... Like a it was an inadvertent whistle. Yeah. He might and, have just like breathed a little bit right. with the whistle in his mouth. And he ran it back for a touchdown, and they call the play back, and the ref actually says that there was an in, inadvertent whistle during the play, and they called it back. There's no touchdown. I mean, we still ended up winning the game, and, but... And that makes me think, too, because the whistle went off mid-muff. Doesn't that call the play dead? <laughs> a little mid-muff. <laughs> a little mid-muff inadvertent whistle. No, but seriously, the whistle clearly went off before the other player had it. That combined with this muff rule, it never touched the ground. I think we had a case for something, but who knows? Anyway, I mean, Otis, besides that, and he kind of fumbled another one, but he ended up recovering it. I mean, he had a career day, 205 yards rushing, one touchdown. I can't believe he was left off the weekly conference award. So I pulled up the American Conference honor roll. Gabriel made it, uh, 218 yards, three touchdown passes. Then we had... Three running backs in the conference make it. Gainwell from Memphis rushed for 149. Well, he had three touchdowns, so I guess that's fair. Concrete had 129, two touchdowns for USF. But then this Tulsa running back, Shamari Brooks, had 163 and one touchdown on 36 carries. Otis had 205 and one. He had more yards. So I think it, he kind of got snubbed on this honor roll, but whatever. Um, You know, that brings us to another thing here with these these muffs and stuff. I mean, clearly he's had a little bit of an issue. Um, but what are we going to do? I mean, if you if you bash him on social media or on the message boards, is that going to help him? No. You know, I think Otis being the hard worker he is, I think he's going to go in and just practice catching these punts and stuff. And it's not easy when you have people running at you full speed, you know, and you have to figure out what yard line am I at? Should I fair catch it? Should I not? How far away are they? Um, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And I, I just have a feeling that he's, you know, he's just going to practice the crap out of catching these punts and, and come back and be fine. And, you know, if we have to make a replacement, we have to, I mean, we saw what he can do as a returner against Pitt. So the talent's definitely there. Yeah. Um, the, to me, the explosiveness is worth way more than, I mean, turnovers are costly and it's tough, but I just think he's. He's going to get it together. Uh, wh what else can you say? It's not like he does it on purpose. It's not easy to do. You know, I'm sure there's a, a bunch, there's a handful of very talented players that don't even want to be the punt returner. There's a crap ton of pressure. No, there's too on much you. pressure, man. It's a lot. And like I said before, it's a lot to think about. So what can you do? You can complain on social media. Is that going to help at all? No. Is it going to make you look smart? No. Or you can be like, hey, I've got this guy's back. He's talented. 
and I'm confident in his abilities, and we're going to support him no matter what, because that's really the only thing you can do to help him. Everything else doesn't help. You don't have some groundbreaking take saying, oh, he's muffed three punts this year. Oh, you think? You think the coaches didn't notice that? Of course they did. So if he's out there next game, don't complain about it. Have confidence in him. He's our guy. Yeah, I mean, players aren't perfect. Look at Aaron Robinson. Okay, yeah, he gave up he gave up a touchdown pretty in the, bad. In the yeah. first quarter, maybe the second quarter. Comes back, picks off Russo twice. Yeah, not once, but twice. Wait, is it he, Russo? Yeah. 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 No, they had that other quarterback, and I got confused a little bit. Oh, no, Russo threw two picks. Yeah, no, he did. And then, all right, so 28-21 halftime, and then the second half of the game was just – it's unlike anything we've seen from this team this year. What what did we outscore them? Thirty five nothing. It was thirty five nothing. According to ESPN and just me looking through their drive charts, we held Temple to nine total yards for the second half. Nine. I feel like they they did absolutely nothing. And this is when they did. You know, the last few games where you know we're up a lot, we tend to kind of let our foot off the gas uh, with garbage time. Couldn't be further from the truth especially for the defense with the second half shutout. Um, yeah. It, it was it was awesome. It goes hand in hand because, one, we were moving the ball on offense. We kept the defense off the field, so they were a little more fresh as opposed to the ECU game where we kept doing these three and outs, and it felt like the defense was on the field the entire second half. What's going to happen? If you keep giving them the ball back and don't give our guys a break, they're going to score eventually. It's just what's going to happen if you give them enough opportunity. So. All in all, very, very complete game. Um, what else did you see, I guess, from us on, on either side of the ball? Well, we saw Daryl Mack in not garbage time. Yeah, uh, it was like our second or third touchdown, right? And uh, I think we're on like the six-yard line. Calling his own number, going straight up the gut. Uh, pretty much on he got he got like an arm around him at the goal line, and it was over. That run definitely brought me back to the conference championship game last yeah, year. Yeah, we did that like six times yeah. in the second <laughs> half, it felt like. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, that was great. Uh, the receivers, a ton of different players caught catches. Uh, caught catches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had seven different players catch passes, four different players catch touchdowns, and four different players rush for touchdowns. Two different players pass for touchdowns. We're deep. Everyone scores. You get a touchdown. You get a touchdown. You get a touchdown. For those of you younger guys, that's a Oprah Winfrey uh, joke or reference. So one thing I, I did notice and we talked about before the show, we might be kind of thin at receiver next year. You know, toward the end of the game, we were talking about garbage time. It was definitely nice to see some kind of newer faces, some of the freshmen, uh, O'Keefe came in the game. McAllister got a touchdown pass. Amari Johnson we saw in the game. A little Trillian Coles, name of the year candidate. So it was definitely nice to see everyone else. Although my one kind of bone to pick is, you know, Gabe Davis in the game with four minutes left and we're up like 40 points. I don't understand the point in that, but whatever. You know, if that's our biggest complaint, I guess uh, it was a pretty good overall game. Yeah, and again, another game where Hypo listened to squints. A uh, lot of passing on first down, a lot of motion. We got more Otis. We got more Marlin in the game. It looks like Marlin's kind of taken over Harris's role a little bit. Uh, let me look at the snap counts here. 
Marlon had 59 snaps and Harris had 14. So yeah, it looks like he's taken over that kind of slot receiver or third receiver role. Um, nothing against Harris. He's a monster and pretty much unguardable, but it's kind of a waste to not have Marlon on the field because he's got the size and the speed and, you know, he's kind of unguardable, kind of like Gabe Davis. He reminds me of a little bit. All right, that being said, let's welcome on one of our favorite recurring guests here, Anthony Squint Lenahan. He is a professional football analyst, and he has a lot of nice things to say about our offense over the last couple weeks, and he also talks about some of our conference opponents as well. So let's do it. All right, we are here with Anthony Lenahan, a.k.a. Squints, our favorite guest to have, analytics expert. Uh, thanks for joining the show, dude. Thanks for having me. First time after a win, I think. You usually just want me for the bad stuff. Well, that's why we want to have you on. We want to talk about the good stuff because I feel like there's a lot of good stuff to talk about over these last two wins. I mean, we didn't necessarily have the toughest opponent, but we had a decent road opponent uh, at Temple, and we finally put together a complete game, it feels like. And, you know... The last time we talked to you was after that Cincinnati game where it felt like we ran the same play four times. We come out against ECU. We run two motions in the first three plays, which is twice as many as we ran against Cincinnati. And then it looked like we were definitely given a bunch of different looks versus Temple this week, too. What are your kind of overall thoughts on the play calling and the offense over the last two weeks? Yeah, the offense has looked really good. I mean, I think you're crazy to say it hasn't. By far the best rushing game of the season against Temple. Like, it wasn't even close. I don't know if it was, like, a combination of Edward Collins played the whole game at left tackle. I don't know if that made a huge difference, switching everything around. Just major adjustments in, like, communication and execution or what it was. But it was a crazy difference, and it was nice to see that back. Kind of, I think, what a lot of us expected coming into the season. It's kind and of against, played how we thought we should, right? Yeah, Everybody thought the line was going to be a strength this year. Coming and then, like the first seven games, there was really no rushing success, and a lot of that had to do with line play. Because when blocks were made, I mean, UCF's offense run rush offense was either like an explosive run or a zero to two yard loss. Well, it's definitely good to see that. Uh, how much do you think of of that was attributed to O line play, or do you think it had to do more with play calling? Oh, definitely O-line play. I mean, if you watch, like, the game slow, like, if you watch it back and you're, like, pausing, like I do on, like, every play where, like, where the runner running back's, like, hitting the hole, like, the holes are wide open. There's one play that the hole is wide open, but two linebackers rushed up, came right in the middle of it, and Otis bounced it outside, which is, the, like, the one play, the one humongous run that I would say was not attributed to O-line play. I think he almost got tackled like two yards behind the line of scrimmage and then ended up running for 39 yards or something like that, which is an extremely nice run. But other than that, like the holes were incredible. I think the first Adrian Killens touchdown run, the hole was wide open and then Hescock was leading the way and he blocked one of the D backs right into the other D back and basically just knocked down two D backs at once. And I mean, AK was probably going to make the guy miss, but Hescock, just destroyed both guys. It, it was like a complete 180 from the first seven games. And So how much of this, like, 
you said O-line play has definitely improved, but did you notice anything different on um, our play calling? I know one of the things we've been critical of is running too much on first down, not passing enough when you know our run success has been very low on first down and our passing uh, efficiency has been way higher. Did you notice anything different with that? Uh, against ECU, it was definitely a humongous difference. They came out passing the first four first and tens of their first drive. They had four of them, and they threw every single one, which was unbelievable. In the first half, they had 22 first and tens and 16 passes. Well, 17 if you include the Marlin pass, which I'm not going to include. But they had 16 passes thrown by Gabriel, and I think Mac might have even been in the first half and threw a pass. He did. He they came had, off of that third down run and then came up to the line and – uh I don't think anyone was expecting it. He threw that pass to Davis for the touchdown. Yeah, they were they had nine in the box against Mac. Yeah, it was awesome. It's just like I mean, I guess you understand that he's going to come in and try and run, but like if you watched last year and like know who he is, which ECU should because he started against them. I know, right? <laughs> Out of any team to fall for that, you figure it wouldn't but be the team he started against. But whatever. you realize that he, he he's a very capable thrower, and Gabriel leaving leaving him one on one with that guy. And, Without a safety, help is probably not the best idea. But he schooled him. But they had a .772 EPA per dropback, which is extremely good. A 73% success rate. Uh, they had a one penalty drawn and 15.2 yards per attempt, which is crazy. And then the best part about that is that on four incompletions they had, they went back and threw it on second and ten three times, and all three were completed for about 10 yards per attempt. Second and tens like analytically the worst down and distance to run on so it's nice to see like after an incomplete pass not going to the run which there's is, no there's no point almost it's a sad trend that a lot of coaches fall into yeah because you, you, you already passed it now we're gonna run it even even the run game was good against ecu on first and tens they ran they only ran it five times in the first half but they had a point one two three epa per rush again anything positive in epa is good especially over point zero so for sure. That's good, an 80% success rate and 7.4 yards per carry. Uh, ECU played a really weird defense. They ran kind of the same thing as Cincy, I think, if I remember you from no, what you Pitt. said on Twitter. Oh, no, Pitt, yeah. No, that's and right, yeah. Actually, ironically, Temple kind of looked like they were doing the same exact thing. They stayed in base the whole game, which both ECU and Temple did. Temple has like a, a hybrid safety linebacker. He's listed as a linebacker, but he kind of dropped back to the safety spot at times. But ECU was in base the whole game. And I mean, they were trying to cover, uh, Marlin and Harris in the slot and Otis. And like, that's just not really right? fair. Yeah. I mean, UCF went 10 personnel a ton against ECU, which is really nice. They had a ton of success in that too. Same as Cincinnati though. But yeah. Yeah. And then Cincinnati was like the complete 180, but on first and tens, they ran the ball 15 times out of 23 which is like the exact opposite of the ECU game. And then they averaged 8.67 yards per carry. Eight of them were successful, which, I mean, somewhere in the 50% range, which is still really good, especially considering. So, I mean, it was a complete 180, but I think that it was pretty much all line play. I think you can kind of see why Hypo runs the kind of power run game with the spread offense. Because when he spreads, his receiver splits are so wide, and when the blocks are executed up front, there's just so much space, and DBs can't 
react quick enough to get good enough angles to catch up with guys like Killens or Otis or Bentavious because they're speed. Yeah. Speaking of the running backs, um, and this is kind of a hard question to, to answer, but who do you think was like kind of the better one-two punch? Would you say Otis Bentavious or would you say like McCray Killens? Uh, McCray, I think, has been a clear number one. Uh, I started working on something in terms of like yards created, which like looking at how many of their yards came after contact and or after an avoided tackle, either a made missed tackle or a broken tackle. And McCray, this is before the Cincy game. I'm uh, not Cincy game, the Temple game. McCray had, uh, 60% of his yards created by him. So kind of, and then AK was at like 28% and Otis was at 39.63%. So I think he's been like the most consistent, like most explosive talented running back, but he also has a lot more carries than those guys to make, make up for it, I guess. But I mean, I love Otis as a running back. Uh, last year I was kind of upset that he didn't get a lot of carries and, whatnot and it's it's nice to see in the last two games kind of be the leader lead guy in the backfield i think he had 15 carries last week or something like that and 17 this week or right around there and 205 yards again a lot of it contributed to o-line play just being a complete difference maker but he did have that one run i talked about before where he had about 39 yards after a force missed tackle which a lot of guys probably would have lost yards on I mean, for a small guy, he's really good at getting yards after contact. So with the news coming out today that Heupel said uh, Killens should be available for Saturday, how do you think this UCF offense attacks uh, a kind of a bottom 10 Houston defense? Do we go with more of a pass, uh, more of a run, and who gets the bulk of the carries? Uh, I think you got to kind of kind of feel out the run and pass. After this week, especially, I don't think you completely like have to come out gun firing in the passing game just because of how well the line played. I mean, if, if you're averaging nine yards per carry on first down, like the numbers will tell you to run. Like as much as I hate saying that because I'm a obvious pass first like person, but like the numbers tell you to run. Like and you're having a ton of success running the ball. You got to run the ball. But I watched them play SMU this week, and their run defense actually looked pretty good. So, I mean, you've got to come out and feel it, but I like coming out being aggressive at least. Even this week against Temple, they came out through passes on first and second down. And then they had that long pass to Gabe down the sideline as well. So it's kind of whatever they feel can get the offensive rhythm the most. I think they have to come out doing. In terms of carries, I think AK has benefited a lot from not being the lead back. Like, And that's great and I think that it should stay that way whether he's 100% or not I think this week even Otis got the first carry but AK was kind of still in a more limited role this week like a change of pace type back yeah and they've been splitting him out a couple times as well which is nice to see yeah I think all of our guys are really really good at uh pass catching as well which is nice yeah anytime you could get AK or Otis has obviously been pretty much treated as a wide receiver without the injuries he's extremely talented but ak has been a really good receiver and so is mccray out of the backfield uh i don't we haven't really got to see bentavious at all like 
split out. But we haven't had to though. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he looked really good too. And they're all extremely talented guys, and the cuts they made, Bentavius and Otis, and even AK last week, like just hitting the right holes and making cuts in the second level, like after the line's done its job, like they they still have to make the safeties miss and whatnot. I heard you had charted Houston's offense. What do you think is our plan of attack for our D? Uh, I've charted their defense. I haven't done their offense. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was going to, but like their offense has been such a mess without um, King. But I'll answer your question just off watching. Their receivers are unbelievable. I know one of them is red shirting with King. I'm not, I know they have. Marquez Stevenson, I don't know if you guys seen him play, but he's Yeah, we, he's we like watched UCF, him in that SMU game and he's like yeah, he's like a UCF guy in Houston system and <laughs> just covering him one on one is gonna be I mean, I wouldn't say difficult because UCF's DBs are extremely talented too. And but if you if he makes you miss in the open field, it's it's game over. He had like a ninety six yard touchdown catch last week where he ran for like ninety that yards, so I think keeping their receivers in front of DBs and is going to be huge. They haven't seemed like a great rushing team. They've lost some alignment. I know that one alignment who went on the uh, tweet barrage, I think was a starter. So uh, the rushing game hasn't been very good. Even against UConn, it wasn't that good, which is a game that it probably should have been. So if you can get pressure on their quarterback, I'm assuming Toon's going to play. He's not that bad, but if Dana's son comes in, just make him get rid of the ball pretty much. Don't really let him get in a rhythm and don't let him have time to throw deep to like Stevenson or Lark because those guys are big plays waiting to happen. You have any more thoughts overall in this game? Prediction, anything like that? What do you think? What are you, what are you thinking? Uh, what about the over under? It's a uh, 69 and a half. Just drop the half point. Ooh, I don't, I just don't know how much Houston's going to score. Uh, I mean, Temple put up what? 21 last week. They probably should have scored seven points. Yeah. On that first drive was really the only drive that they moved the ball efficiently. I mean, the second touchdown came on a 75 yard pass, which Brandon Max is a really big dude. And why was, uh, I, I know you don't know the answer. I'm kind of thinking out loud. Why was Tig Gowan out of the game on that? Was that the play that, that, that backup dude got burned, I think? Yeah, it was Maxwell. It was actually not, it was actually pretty good coverage. It was just oh. a really good throw. And, or that. <laughs> throw and catch. Sorry, I mean, sorry was, Maxwell. I like your coffee, by the way. He, he was right. He was literally step for step with them. I mean, he just couldn't bring him down after he caught the ball because Brendan Max a huge dude. But yeah, I don't know why Tay Gallon was out. I actually texted you about that earlier. Oh yeah, yeah. Somebody was talking about that. He committed a penalty at some point, and they took him out for a bit. But he was in and out. Like him and Maxwell were rotating before that penalty happened. I'm not really sure. Gowan's been like. I think PFF had him as like a 1.5 passer rating when targeted, which wow. is absurd. I think it was second best in the country. He's he's really good. Kind of been like he's kind of been like Mike Hughes for us. I was just gonna say that the JUCO transfer, solid uh, stud cornerback. He's uh, he he's just had, good. He hasn't been talked about enough. I think. No, for sure. Um, so I'm not I'm not really sure how many points Houston will put up because uh, then the other touchdown came off the muff punt, and then they. How many yards did Temple have in the second half? Not a lot. Nine, I think. <laughs> so, and I would say Houston, Temple's offense is probably better than Houston's overall. Without wow, really? Derek King. I mean, that guy matters so much to that team. 
Yeah, it'll be fun. I'm glad he gets to come back next year and hopefully like have a meaningful season. Uh, kind of let yeah, down because at the beginning of this year, transfer to Oklahoma. <laughs> That's a very good point. I could definitely see that happening. Uh, I feel like his talents waste a little bit in Houston, but. That's a whole other story. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know what Dana's got up his sleeve over there. Yeah, you never know. I don't think the fans are too happy, but we'll see. It sucks because this game was supposed to be like the I, biggest game of the season for right? the most part. The, the over-under was supposed to be like 90. We talked about that, it. Like- yeah, that's what we were saying at the beginning of the year that we thought that uh, this game would be the highest total in NCAA history, but turns out no. Yeah, oh well. Yeah, I mean, Houston is supposed to be really good this year, too, which kind of sucks, but, oh well. What are your thoughts from any other teams around the conference? Like, what's happened to Tulane the last couple of weeks? Uh, I actually, I haven't charted their games the last two weeks yet. I got to catch up, but I, was, I watched their game last week. was terrific against Navy. They fell behind 24 nothing, and their offense is so predicated on running the ball. They're just, their run schemes are unbelievable, and I really like their OC, but McMillan is, he's transferred from LSU as their quarterback. He's not like the most accurate guy. And when they fall behind, it's tough for them to make up points because they have to kind of go pass heavy and they're just not built for it. But he actually strength. started throwing, he started throwing the ball downfield early on early downs last week against Navy when they fell behind and brought him right back in. But, and they, Tulane's defense finally got some stops for him and let him come, let him back in the game. I didn't think that kid was going to make that 50-yard field goal. I don't know if you saw it. But their defense just hasn't hadn't been getting stops. I don't know. They might have had like one or two against Memphis the whole game. And you just it's hard to win when your defense doesn't get any stops at all, no matter how good your offense is. But I think they'll be fine. And then Memphis should have lost this week. I don't know if you guys saw oh, that game. Oh, 100%. I was watching that game. I think to, Tulsa is like a really good – Two and I think they're two and six now. They're like I think Bill Conley tweeted out like they're the best two and six team ever. <laughs> but get him a trophy. Who's Memphis playing? Who do they have? Oh, SMU for game day. This yeah, week. college game day this week. Which, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, Moo's been saying this kind of the last couple of weeks that SMU is very overrated for an undefeated team, and I think Houston kind of exposed them. What do you think? Yeah, they didn't look good against Houston. Uh, they should have lost the game earlier in the year too. I think maybe Tulsa. It might have. Yeah, I think it was Tulsa. They fell behind by a ton, and I think they got a little lucky in that game. Tulsa could I'm that not... be our hardest game this year? <laughs> I've said it about pretty much everyone on our schedule so far. Yes. Yeah, so, so SMU could have a couple losses, and then they lost uh, their best receiver, Reggie Roberson, got hurt against Houston, and receivers. Like difference makers receive a receiver make a huge difference, and Memphis is home. I would say Memphis is going to win that game. I don't know if Mike Norvell can blow any more second half leads, but <laughs> I, yeah, I guess we'll just have to see. It's exciting to see our conference definitely getting some extra exposure. I think this is the fourth time in the last four years that a G five has been on College Game Day. Three of those have been the American, which similarly enough, I think. We've been in the three of the last four years, too. So I, I think yeah. Power Six is really a thing. You know, you look at the rankings. We've got three teams in the top 25. We've got Navy second in others receiving votes. And us, we jumped up to third in others receiving votes because everyone else lost. If we win this week, we'll probably be ranked again, which is absolutely crazy. A two-loss ranked UCF team. Who would have thought? 
Yeah, I mean, I still think UCF's by far the best group of five team, regardless of their losses. I mean, the thing that sucks about the last two weeks and like whatnot in the season, it's like you kind of see like how good this team is and like how much talent and skill they have that like the losses are like the reason why like fans and like we get upset is because like obviously the players know it too and like they 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 feel the worst about it is because they know they're just like the better team. Yep. And like, there's just little things that go, go into everything. And like, it's football. You're not, you're not going to go undefeated every year. It's just, you want to make decisions that are going to give you the best chances to win every game. Yeah, I agree. And you look back, we're going to look back at the season forever and be like, what could have been? I mean, you look at it now. What there's the top five teams are undefeated, and then you've got Minnesota, who's like twelve, and SMU. Uh, both of them have had really, really easy schedules, but we could be ranked sixth or seventh right now. Yeah, especially with Oklahoma losing. That's what I'm saying, and that and like one of LSU and Bama is going to lose. And, and this was the first season we were starting to get national credibility from like the majority of people. We weren't just like this fluke underdog team. People were like, "Look, UCF's actually legit. They put this together three years in a row." we would be in the playoff conversation and instead two kind of close road losses that shouldn't have been. And like I said before, it's just going to be kind of the, what could have been season, but we got to make the best of it. So that's why yeah, we're here. I mean, going 10 and two, you can't complain with that at all. It's just, like I said, like it sucks. Like what we said. No, and just getting the respect as well. I think we, we have been getting the respect. Think about it. When we played USF, in 2017, USF was 10 and one, unranked. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. The you conference know, we have two, we yeah. have two losses, and we're right outside of the top 25. Yeah, I think with a lot of the new like data and information that's coming out too, and like the computer rankings, like like what Bill Conley does and stuff like that, like people are starting to realize that like the gap between like the AAC and the ACC and like the Pac-12, like there just really isn't a gap. Like rankings have come out and shown that the AAC West, not the one that UCF is in, is like better division than like the ACC East, I think, or the other one. Yeah. But no, whatever one Clemson's not in. And the only reason that the only reason that that division is ranked high is because of Clemson. Exactly. They bring in everyone up. Yeah. Who's looked very vulnerable this year too. They were, I mean, a two-point conversion away from losing to North freaking Carolina. Uh, yeah. Again, just another another example of how close this season could have been to uh, to being our year. But whatever, we could talk about that all day. Um, Moo, anything just else? Just the for Cincinnati to lose. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And we're going to talk about this later, but we'll bring it up now. So since Temple lost to SMU two weeks ago, there's no three-way tie thing in play. We need... Cincinnati to lose twice. Their remaining three games are at USF, at home versus Memphis, and doesn't matter where they are, they're playing UConn. So we'll just they pull got, that one they out. They got ECU this week too, I think. Oh yeah, right? e- ECU. Um, it's possible. I, you know, I think they could lose at USF. I do too. USF's looked all right. They got that new guy in at quarterback, and you know, Memphis is never an easy game. Doesn't matter where you're playing them. It just depends on what team and what coach shows up, I guess. They're playing Memphis on the road, right? Uh, I think they have Temple at home and Memphis on the road. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, 
if that's the case, um, they'll beat Temple at home. I mean, I, I think they're kind of identical style teams almost, but I think Cincinnati's a lot better coached and just probably a better overall team. So yeah. I think they'll beat Temple at home, but going on the road at Memphis is probably going to be a lot. They'll probably be around like a five, six point underdog in that game. I think. And then I don't know. USF looked good last week. You never know ECU. They're not going to, they're going to play for their new coach, uh, the James Madison guy. They're going to play James Houston. I think his name is. He's good. They're going to, this whole conference, like you said before, is definitely on the up and up. So yeah, they play ECU on the road this week. Then they're at home versus UConn, so that doesn't count. Then they have a road game at USF, Temple at home, and then Memphis on the road. Dude, Memphis, man, that is a tough place to go and play. I see two losses. Yeah, Memphis is a really good team. Yo, I mean, we're, are we going to the combo? I see two losses, We're dude. going to the combo. I just see it. <laughs> Cincinnati yeah. is not that good. I know. We're, they didn't do anything against us besides the pick no. six and, you know. They just know. played. They just played decent defense. Decent, I yeah. Mean, and we shot ourselves in the foot with the play calling too, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, you can't do anything about it now. You just gotta hope they lose. Uh, exactly. But hey, yeah, and no other group of five teams undefeated anymore. Yeah, and we're on the cusp of being ranked. And yeah, I you know it's possible. I'm starting to feel a little hope. I really, really am. We just gotta do our part, man. We just gotta, just gotta keep do blowing teams out. And getting the attention of everyone. I mean, we got 33 votes this week, which means, well, there's only 60 voters. That means a bunch of people probably had us 24. There's probably 20 voters that will never rank us with two losses. So you just got to remember that like a third of the voters will never rank us ever. Like the Brett McMurphy. The Brent Murphys and all that. <laughs> but then there's guys that already have us in like the 22, 23. We keep blowing teams out and other teams keep losing. There's only one way to go and that's up. So it's very, very exciting. Um, all right, I think we're going to wrap this up, dude. Like always, thanks so much for all your input. Uh, it's definitely very awesome to have an analytical mind on the show to give us another perspective on everything. Exclusive, um, by the way. <laughs> definitely. We're going to have to start paying him to come on the show. But uh, yeah, thanks so much, dude. And if you don't follow him, he puts out a lot of really good tweets and gifts on uh, play calling and tendencies and stuff like that. So follow him on Twitter at squints underscore 15 just Dude, don't argue with me yeah just don't argue <laughs> with him or he probably will, gonna lose he will put you in no, a I body bag put him in a coffin so it just gets very annoying <laughs> but i mean you just hit him with the facts and then they eventually have to stop replying so it's fun yeah. <laughs> all right man thanks so much take care appreciate it all right that was a awesome interview with squints like always Got a different perspective from him on what we've been doing on offense the last couple weeks. Always good to talk about other teams in the conference and kind of get an outlook on our future games. So we thank him a lot for joining the show. Let's talk about some other notable top 25 games this week. We've got the Florida-Georgia game, the world's largest cocktail party, as they call it, up in Jacksonville. A couple Florida fans of mine. Very upset they didn't get college game day. And it's like, dude, you guys have already had college game day twice this year, I think, right? So they had Miami and they had Auburn, and now they're pissed they didn't get Florida Georgia yeah. for like the third year in a row because it's SMU Memphis, which is way more deserving. And like, dude, get off your high horse. Like, no one likes the SEC that much besides people that are in the SEC. But it's definitely exciting to see, uh, you know, Memphis get it for the first time. 
we've been in their shoes last year. I'm sure they're very excited. And, you know, to see a top 25 matchup between number 15 SMU and number 24 Memphis get highlighted, um, you know, good for the conference. Power six is very, very strong. We talked about this a little bit in the interview, but I mean, we're finally getting credibility as a conference one, but two, the only thing separating us from those other conferences is the TV money and is the automatic MY6 bull bid. We're just as good as the ACC minus Clemson and the Pac-12. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think so too. Um, I was kind of thinking when they said that Memphis was going to get game day this week, it brings us back to, I think this is the first time they've ever had game day, right? Yeah, it's the same exact thing we so felt brings us. Year. That's what I was going to say. It's the same exact thing that we felt. You know, Memphis at home, they sh- the fans show up for sure. Oh my God. That Like I said, I've been saying this a few times before. That stadium was only two-thirds full last year for the UCF game because it was pouring rain in 60-degree weather, and that place was loud. That was, that was louder than the sold-out Cincinnati game. On Friday night, a couple weeks ago, I swear. Now, how many, how many UCF signs or flags or mentions by the game day crew do you think this week? I don't think we're on the mention status as much as we were last year, where it felt like we had our own segment every week, even before we had game day, because you know we're on the win streak and everything. But there will definitely be signs. Just I retweeted the college game day official announcement tweet. And someone replied from UCF and was like, you know, so happy to have you guys. I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. Good luck. And like four Memphis fans responded. They're like, we don't want your pity, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, we're just being nice. But they're salty. I mean, the last time and only time Memphis has ever beat us was in 1990. And I think we've won the last 10 or 12 straight since then. So there will definitely be UCF signs. And they're actually, they're not setting up the set on the Memphis campus, which is kind of like, tucked away in the ghetto a little bit but they're having it on beale street which is like their downtown historical street you know is it close to the liberty bowl though no not at all oh, <laughs> walking in well, what time's the game uh the game's at 6 30 p.m okay so that's plenty that's plenty of time for everybody to, to like go to beale street and exactly do, do exactly okay. i mean the fine. college game day is over at uh at, at noon so or 11 their time and i think the game's at 6 30 their time so they'll have plenty of time no, definitely happy for them, and you know, just great overall for the American brand. If we could just get a little more TV money and an automatic bowl bid, I wouldn't even be mad if we had never left this conference because the competition's great. What it comes down to, us only getting six million and the Power Five schools getting over twenty—that's money that they use to retain their coaches. Because all of our success, we're going to lose half these coaches after the season, probably, or at least next season. And that's really the only thing separating us is that money to keep those coaches, to keep these programs going with the momentum that they have. But whatever, you know, play the hand you're dealt with. So definitely cool to see them get the spotlight that we had last year because we can definitely relate to that. So speaking of Memphis, that was one of the teams Money Moo picked against last week. And Tulsa almost won outright. So that being said, it's time for Money Moo. <laughs> Picks of the week. Can you say it with me? Three and O. Oh. Let's freaking go. Three and O oh last week on double digit dog week. Hey yo, yep. Brings my record to thirteen and fifteen for the season two. Climbing However, fifty eight and 
48 since the beginning of last year. So a pretty big sample size for you guys to uh, dissect my picks. Yep. 10 wins over 500. Last week, we had winners of Houston, Tulsa, and Oklahoma State. All three had legitimate shots at winning outright at the end, which is crazy because they were all double-digit dogs. I love it. I knew it, dude. I I felt the juju. (laughs) And I made some money, so thank you. Appreciate that. So 3-0. I hope all of you follow my picks. Uh, Really appreciate if you guys follow me on Twitter. It's at MoneyMooUCF. I always post the picks as well on Twitter. And uh, love the feedback, too. You know, I, I, I... enjoy some of the criticism that i get when i lose but i also like the uh people appreciating me when i win so yep it's fair. Know, hit me up this week before i get into the picks first i wanted to go into the ucf line which i do every week currently the line is 23 so it depends on what book you're using the system that i use which i tweet out also every week is I kind of project the lines as we go throughout the season versus each opponent. I told you that UCF should be minus 19. So minus 23 is pretty close to 19, but definitely not in UCF's favor. We're always looking for value here. And this week, it just doesn't bring it. So we're going to pass on betting on UCF. However, hmm... We have been kind of experimenting with this trend lately. In the last couple of weeks, you know, off the record, we have been winning gratuitous amounts of money. Yeah, well, on the record, I've been tweeting it every week. I made a cra- <laughs> made a crap ton of money on betting on the first quarter over, but I'll let Moo explain the so numbers. So this isn't going to be an official money Moo pick because I don't really like to do totals uh, for my picks, but... A couple of different things that I wanted to talk about was the total for this game is 70, which is a few points higher than the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think ECU was 60 and Temple was 63. Crushed both of those, but regardless. If you are a, if you are an avid listener of the podcast, you would know that at the beginning of the year, we projected that this would be one of the highest total games that UCF might have ever played in could have been in the high 80s and lower 90s uh but with Derek King and the Houston offense not really panning out to what they were supposed to be uh the total lands down at 70 now we go back to the first quarter first quarter totals uh for the last two games have been about 13 13 and a half 14 that's combined points by both teams in the first quarter in the first quarter so I went and I looked back at UCF's first quarter total combined points uh, for every single game they've played, and I'm going to go over it right now. So FAMU was 17, FAU 14, Stanford 35, what? Pitt 7, UConn 28, Cincy 3, East Carolina 21, and Temple 21. So you can see that they haven't eclipsed 14 points in only two of the of the eight games that they've played, and those are away games too. So if you take out the three and the seven, which is Pitt and Cincy away, you can even take out the Temple game. We've scored at least seventeen points in the every first quarter, right? That is correct. Yeah. So if the over under is thirteen and a half, which we've been crushing, what we have twenty eight versus Temple, 
35 versus Stanford. It's free. They're giving away money. 21 versus Temple, Whatever. 35 versus, versus Stanford but for, now. But for Temple, it was 13 and a half. So even 14 would have covered that. You just need two touchdowns, which at home, we pretty much score two touchdowns the first two times we touch the ball every home game. Now, that being said, the first quarter totals usually don't come out until Saturday morning, especially for the noon game. This was depends this is on gonna, the book, but yeah. This is going to come out probably Saturday morning. I'm going to tell you right now, if if it's anything under 17, I would be betting big on the over. Oh, yeah. If it's exactly 17, I would put a nice bet. If it's anything over 17, just use your best judgment. With the total being 70, you figure that, you know... I feel like we're always going to score two touchdowns in the first quarter at home. Well, right? you, usually what the books do is they take the total game and then they just divide it by four. Now, they take the first quarter and the third quarter and make a little, little less because there's usually more scoring in the second and the fourth. There's usually not as much urgency in the first and third quarters as there is as the clock's running out in the second right. and the fourth. That's why the total's a little bit lower in the first and third. Common sense there. Yep. Common sense and simple math. Simple math would tell you that 70 divided by four quarters is 17 and a half. So the total for the first quarter should be around 70, 17 and a half. You take a little bit off since the, it's the first quarter. They should put this line at 16 to 16 and a half, which you need to be betting big on. As our friends in Columbia would say when trying to get us to buy fake sunglasses or pretty much anything else on the street. Hey, my friend, almost free. Almost free. Almost free. And that's pretty much is almost free. So I would definitely take that. Anyway, so you were three and zero last week. We get, just gave a little synopsis on some leans or some trends that we've been looking at for UCF. But what picks do we have for Money Move this week? First pick, we're going to go with Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, minus seventeen and a half against Virginia Tech. First thing I want to know is how is Virginia Tech five and two? They literally have played no one. Three of their five wins are against, ready for this? No. Furman? No. Rhode Island? And Old Dominion? Yo, don't say the F word on this podcast. <laughs> I do not want to hear that F word. And it just took them six overtimes to beat North Carolina. But so they almost beat Clemson. They did, but you know what? They're gassed. And they're staring in the face of an angry fighting Irish team who just got smoked by Michigan. Their playoff hopes are gone. But you know what? They're still fighting for an NY6 Bowl. I think more than anything, Virginia Tech's just overrated. Virginia Tech is overrated. The name is there, but the talent is not. Yeah, they haven't been relevant since Michael Vick was there. So so look for Notre Dame to bounce back versus a terrible, untested Hokie team. Notre Dame minus 17 and a half. At home, by the way. What do you mean untested? They played Furman. No <laughs> test. For those of you that don't understand the reference, Furman was our FCS loss in 2015, and it hurt. It was bad. At home, by the way. Oh. Anyway, so yeah, don't well, say the F word. I don't even know where to go if we went to play for to play Furman. Furman, uh, Oklahoma or something. Yeah, Texas, Kansas. Good old made, made up state. <laughs> All right, what do we got next? Second pick is going to be Kansas State. Minus six and a half at Kansas. Kansas State coming off their big upset win against Oklahoma. Finally have some confidence over there. 
Kansas has dropped four of their last five games, and their only win was against a mediocre Texas Tech team. Then again, I don't know which Kansas team shows up. The one that lost to Texas by two, or the one that lost to Coastal Carolina at home. Look it up. Yes, that's true. The Kansas Jayhawks lost to Coastal Carolina. Give me the team that has the confidence and on the uptrend, Kansas State, not the team that averages giving up 475 yards of offense a game. Just like Oklahoma, Kansas will be torched by the Wildcats. Kansas State should win easy. Take Kansas State minus six and a half. I don't know, though. I mean, Kansas, they've shown glimpses of greatness. They got Les Miles, national championship winning coach there. Maybe they're turning around Kansas State. Uh, they still have that dead guy as a head coach, right? What's his name? I have no idea. <laughs> Bill Schneider. Yeah, is he still the head coach? I don't know. Hold on, let me Google it. Oh, no, they actually, all right, he retired, so that, that makes no sense. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That does seem like a very, very low spread, though. Kansas is not good. Even though Les Miles is a good coach, it takes a couple years to rebuild a team. Like, he's not playing with any of his recruits right now. So, I, I definitely see what you're saying there. Minus six and a half. I mean, right. I mean, on the road, Kansas, not a football school, though. I don't, I mean, they'll probably be half and half Kansas State fans. They're not. And I've also picked against Kansas previously in the year. I picked Texas, which is a minus 21 against Kansas, and only won by two. So it's possible. I don't know. I <laughs> hate, when I, I hate when I talk myself out of my I know, own what? picks. Okay, anyway, uh, next, what do you got? Just to reiterate, Kansas State, minus six and a half. <laughs> All right. Third and final pick to make it 6-0 and oh for these two weeks. We're taking Auburn, the Tigers, minus 18 and a half against Ole Miss. Auburn can't beat anybody good as they lost to Florida and LSU. Only two losses. LSU was a close game, though. But they blow out teams that they're supposed to blow out. 56-23 against Mississippi State. 51-10 against Arkansas. Bo Nix, freshman quarterback, will have his way with the Ole Miss defense. Two players from that Peach Bowl team are still on there that are huge difference makers. Eli Stove and Will Hastings, who both had a touchdown against UCF in the Peach Bowl. Still a huge part of this team. Ole Miss, 3-5. and five, Their best win against Vanderbilt. Woo. They won't be able to do anything against Auburn. I see this game being an easy cover. I'll even give you a score prediction. 49-10, Auburn rolls. Actually, I really agree with this pick for once out of the three. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's recap them real quick. All right, so first, we got Notre Dame minus 17.5 against Virginia Tech. Kansas State minus 6.5 against Kansas and Auburn, minus 18.5 against Ole Miss. Let's get that money. All right, last up, we've got Moose Mailbag, where we answer all of your questions, besides the dumb ones. But a lot of them may have been answered during the show. So if we don't answer your question and it was like actually legit, it's not because we're ignoring you. It's because we already addressed it and we don't want to like repeat ourselves. Because I see a couple questions that we've already like talked about that. So, just an FYI, we're not ignoring you. All right, this first question comes from Daniel Walker. 
Because we can, do we sit Dylan Gabriel in favor of Milton to get him one more year of eligibility and the possibility of going pro? Or should we ride with Gabriel? This is such a hard question. It's like I know, the, that's why I asked it. No, I know. It's like the hardest question ever. I mean, first of all, no one knows. No one can answer this question. Hypo can't answer this question because a lot of it has to do with KZ's health. I mean, if he's able to run and like even practice at like close to 100%, then that will be, I mean, a true miracle almost. It's just that, I mean, he's still... Like can barely walk. He's in. He's still in a giant brace, and it's been, it's been eleven months. So, assuming they're both at a hundred percent, I would say that. And this isn't coach speak. I think you let them both go out there and see who plays the best. Oh, it's not anyone's. I mean, and I it's think it's gonna be like father versus son. On yeah. the practice field, <laughs> can you imagine that? Yeah, KZ's more gifted and more experienced, but. Who knows what Gabriel's going to be like after this season? Who knows? And they're so close. This is such too. a great problem to have, though. Both you know? very selfless. I feel like both of them would Don't. just be like, oh, here you go. Oh, you, yeah. you take it. It'll no, be, you take it. It'll be like that Spider Man meme where they're both like looking at each <laughs> other. No, but that's a good question. Who knows, man? I, I have no idea. Um, next question from MD Knight 2016. If the American Conference rides the wave that UCF started over the last two years like they seem to be now, do we stay aboard or do we jump ship in the next round of realignment? Yeah, so you pointed at this a little bit ago in the show. Um, I'm with staying, man. I'm really with staying. If If we continue the level of play and the rest of the conference continues the level of play over the next few years... I don't mind staying. I, I really don't. And like I said before, I love this conference. The only thing that separates us is the automatic bull bid, which remember, that's how we got to the first Fiesta Bowl in 2013. We didn't have a conference championship. We were the leftover Big East, and the TV deal still stated that we had an automatic MY6 bull bid. So by having the best record in the new American conference, we got to play Baylor in that Fiesta Bowl. That automatic bull bid was gone after 2013. And that, and like I said before, the TV money is the only thing separating us. If we can get a TV deal that puts us up in the, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 million, and we get that automatic bull bid, then I have no reason to leave because I really like this conference and I like the talent. uh, I like the teams and the talent that we have to play. I think it's great, but it all comes down to money. And if another, you know, if the Big 12 comes knocking and we can get 25 million a year, I mean, that's a huge, huge increase in our budget and we yeah, would really I, be able I to wanted do great to I wanted to add to that and and say that, you know, I if the ACC or the Big Twelve came knocking and they said, you know, come on over, I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. Uh I would much rather uh be in the ACC or the Big Twelve. But will I be extremely disappointed if we don't get out of the American? No, I, I don't think so. Yeah, and, you know these teams are getting better. The Cincinnati's, the Memphises of the world. ECU's going to be great. They got a great young coach from. These teams are getting better. They're no longer pushovers. So and it's reflected in the polls now too. Yeah, it it just it goes to sh- it's going to be harder and harder and harder for us to try and go undefeated, and you know do what we did in 2017 
in 2018 again. It's just going to keep getting tougher. The competition is going to keep getting tougher. Yeah, I agree. All right, what do we got next? All right, this next one is from Brando Nitro. On fourth and five, Heibel called four verticals, and Dylan Gabriel hits Nixon in the end zone for a touchdown. After last year's fourth and one touchdown against Memphis, and now this, can we officially say that Heupel has the biggest balls out of all college football coaches? Eh, that's a loaded question because, I mean, yeah. First of all, that fourth and one, we needed that. We were struggling. We hadn't done crap against Memphis that whole game, and we needed some momentum. I mean, we kicked the ball away. They're probably just going to score another touchdown with Henderson. Um, and this fourth and five, there wasn't much at stake. Heupel's also gone for it on other fourth downs, and we didn't get it, which I agree with this call to go for it and not the play call. Um, it's tough to compare because I don't watch all the other games. But I do like his aggressiveness. I'll say that. I really, really like his aggressiveness. I think that's important to have. And I like that he puts his faith in the players, even if I don't agree with his play calls. What do you think? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. The thing is, is that you can't take those two plays and kind of cherry pick them out of Because they were the successful. Season. Yeah. Just because they were successful, you know. There were some times where we've gone for it and not gotten it. There, you know, in the pit game, if he did have the biggest balls in all of college football, we would have went for it on fourth down instead of kicking a field goal. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, like we always say. It is. Were were those two good calls because they were successful? Yeah. Yeah, sure. we get stuffed on that fourth down. Everyone's like, What are you doing? Going for it on fourth down right. on your own 29, and then we just give Memphis the ball, they score a touchdown, and the game's over. Exactly. So <laughs> I feel like a lot of the coach's decision, was it successful or was it not? Did they have big balls or did they not? So yeah, it all depends. Anyway. All right. Um, on to the next question. Is it me? Yeah, you. It's from Brian Doss, BDoss100. What's your prediction for Gabe Davis's final stat line at the end of the season? Is he a legit contender to win the Bilitnikoff Award, which is for the top receiver in the country? I think it's possible. You know, his stats are up there in the top five to top three for wide receivers, you know, basic box score stats. You look at how many touchdowns he has, what is it, 10? 10. Okay, in eight games. Yeah, 50 catches. The catches are a little low. But the uh, yards... The yardage, yeah. I mean, he's probably going to go over a thousand yards uh, for Houston. Yep. Which Traquan didn't Traquan have a hundred catches in a year? Yeah, he had a lot of catches. Um, as far as predictions go, I still stand with. Even though he had what three catches for eighty-eight yards last week, I still stand with what I said on last week's show. I think he's going to break our single-season receiving and touchdown record so he'll have about 1500 yards and 15 touchdowns will break the record or maybe it's 16 i'm not sure uh, i definitely think he's on pace to do that you know a game like this at temple where it just got kind of got out of hand early and we were spreading the ball around wasn't the best example but before that he had like seven touchdowns in four games and like 800 yards so i'm not really worried about his overall production and i think he'll be a finalist for the award I don't think he'll get it just because everyone's going to be like, oh, strength the schedule, blah, 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 you know, the usual stuff. But, I mean, come on. I've been a UCF fan for so long. I'm used to that. It doesn't bother me. He's going to go in the top two rounds in the NFL draft, and he's going to show everyone that they were wrong not picking him for this award, I think, when all is said and done. But we'll have to see. 
that's what makes you know that's what makes a football fun. So. Wait and see, baby. Hey, <sighs> Houston's got a pretty bad pass defense, so yep, he might go off again this week. All right, I got this next question, and I'm gonna ask it to you, but I have a pretty good answer for this one. This next one is from Greg Fisher. What was your worst fan experience at an away game? And I know that you've been to a lot of them. I only have one bad experience at an away game, and that was 2007 at USF. Oh, I mean, you stole it. <laughs> I, you I've, stole my answer, damn it. I, I can't even think of anyone that was remotely close. I mean, like, so at the Memphis game last year, there was like one fan that tried to fight me, but, and I wasn't doing anything. And literally, he got escorted out by other Memphis fans because he was being ridiculous. And that's, I don't, I don't stereotype a whole fan base because of one bad fan but i remember the usf game in 07 and people were trying to start fights and like throwing crap at me as i was leaving the game um that was just nasty yeah that was that was just not good and you know i think things have changed a little bit since then i will give usf credit i think both of our fan bases have got more mature and less kind of trashy because I remember there was stuff going on from both sides, mostly USF, but yeah, definitely. Um, well, we you know, went together, remember? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just wasn't pretty, but that was definitely at the 07 uh, classic. Do you remember us? 63 wa- 14 blowout. Uh, it was 64 to 12 USF, whatever. Uh, do you remember we we're walking out of the stadium and we definitely left her <laughs> we left early oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> and uh do you remember we were arguing with those with like a group of old people this is how bad this got we were arguing with a group of old people about how many water fountains we had in our stadium i don't do remember, remember this, this? <sighs> and it's not because i was drunk going. i just don't have a good memory like but they, there was like 60 year old men and 60 year old couples like heckling us as we got out of the game <laughs> we're 18 year old freshmen yeah, we're 18 like, years old <laughs> That was definitely in all, any sport, any sporting event I've ever been to. That was the worst that I can think of, but it it, it was just crazy. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So but you know what we need to do this year? We need to avenge. Atta- we need to attack the old people. That we need come- to avenge that loss this year. Think uh, about it. Just when run was it the, up. When was the last time we were really good and they were terrible? Last year. Well, not. <laughs> <laughs> the game I mean no we that, need we need to put a 64-12 on them is what I, I'm saying. I agree and you know that ah, man I remember that game it just they were just they Takes ran your will away. Bro. They ran up the score on us like they did not stop. That's what I'm saying. It was sad. It was We sad. need this. Yeah. This year. All right, little revenge game as if we need any a- more motivation. Revenge our loss 12 from 12 years ago. Yes. Like when half the team was in like third grade at the time we will avenge it for us all right uh last one from twitter this is a fill in the blank from ampla jug 42 ucf's leader in rushing yards at the end of the season will be blank ah it's kind of tough to tell so otis got jumped huge in the statistics he's now the leading rusher for the team otis anderson he has a 110 yard lead over bentavius thompson who edges out McCray by one yard. The average per carry, though, Bentavious, my boy, leading it in 7.9 yards per carry. Look, it all depends on who's healthy. Yeah. You know, if McCray doesn't play this week, obviously that's going to skew the stats more towards the other three. We did hear Heupel saying that Adrian Killens 
should be available to play on Saturday. Looked like a sprained shoulder from the video, but I don't know anything. I got to tell you, though, I really like the one-two punch of Otis and Mentavious. Like, those two backs, I love McCray and Killens, but when you have Otis and Mentavious in the backfield at the same time, it's lights out. You can't cover it. Yeah, it's a a great one-two punch. Yeah, it could be anyone. Uh, You know, again, not a bad problem to have that we don't know. Last one from Twitter comes from ChargeOn24. Is 10 wins but a conference title a setback for the program? No, if we, geez, if we get to the conference championship game, that's that's a win. I mean, but we need some help to get there. There's no setbacks, but conference championship is the bar for us right now. Anything less will be a little disappointing. Hate to say it, but what do you think? I think conference championship or 10 win season is kind of the bar for us. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess 10 wins and one division loss, and we kind of get unlucky and not make it. It's not a terrible season, but just not what we're... Yeah, to. look, what what has to happen for us to get to the New Year's Six? There's only one team out of the group of five conferences. So, like, 60 teams. One. That's it. One team gets to go to the New Year's Six Bowl. And for us to do it two years in a row is an absolutely incredible accomplishment. So, for us to not make it this year, which I still have hope, <laughs> definitely not a setback at all. Just not not as good as we're used to, but it's not a setback. I agree. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's do these insert questions and we'll wrap it up. First one from Forty Ounce of Fury, third and seventeen. Do you run your hundred sixty pound running back through the A or B gap? Sarcasm there. <laughs> well, the quick answer is no, but it all depends. I mean, what kind of defensive scheme are they in? Are they playing cover four? Well, how about this? First of all, none of our running backs are less than like 172. So I don't know if you saw them over the summer put on a bunch of muscle, even the little guys. Two, third, and 17. We're probably just running the ball. Just we're going to punt it. I mean, you know, they might break it. They might not. You're not trying to go for a first down on third and 17 because they're playing back. Chance of you getting that are not good. So you might as well just take the safe play. If you happen to bust it open, go for it. If not, punt the ball and have faith in the defense. Or, you know, if they break it for 12 yards, a fourth and five, depending on where you're at on the field, hype's been known to go for it. Yeah, exactly. All right, next question comes from Geraldo 11 Do you think Daryl Mack will transfer? No. Next question from also Geraldo 11 Without expanding the stadium, what do you think we could do to make the home game experience better? Uh, number one, I would say, look, we're, we're a very talented group of people here at UCF. Don't you think that there's a way we could possibly get like good Wi-Fi in the stadium? Wi-Fi would be nice. Think about it. Most of our alumni are young. Everyone's very active in social media. Yeah, th- this I mean, could solve the problem of leaving the game early as well. That and some shade. Give me some shade and some Wi-Fi. I'll freaking sleep at the stadium. I'll live there. I, that that's like two of the biggest complaints. I th- yeah. I think is that kids are too hot, people are too hot, and you can't get on you can't get on social media. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. If they change if they change those two, th- now of course it's very expensive to add these two things. Just put a cell tower or a wi-fi tower or something or something anything i don't know 
I, I think I really think though, Geraldo, that would make the UCF fan experience a lot better on game day. All right, this question is from Danny V. Private. Who do you think should replace UConn in the American and make a good rival for UCF? Thank you, Danny V. I'm kind of interested to what Danny V. Public's account looks like. Just saying. Danny V. Private? Where's Um, Danny V. Public? Someone good to replace UConn, Army, BYU. We don't necessarily need anyone to replace them. We'll get a waiver from the NCAA because they say you have to have 12 teams to have a conference championship. We only have 11. But... Yeah, BYU, Army. Eh, honestly, I don't really care because it, it doesn't really matter that much. What do you think? Yeah, I would like to see. I would like to see BYU or you know Army. Then you got the Army Navy. Yeah, the rivalry like back intact. Yeah, I mean Army's good. Yeah. All right. Next question from Crayola Marker. Awesome username, by the way, Crayola man. That really brings it back. Sixty-four colors. What do you think of the space unis compared to last year? Love them. I think we just keep getting better every single year. And it shows by the sales of the merch. The merch sold out in like the first couple hours. Yeah, we need more merch, by the way. Yeah, I I, I love the jersey t-shirt. How about sell some jerseys? Well, then, I don't know. Then people won't buy the actual jerseys, yeah. I guess. No, I, I like them not selling the jerseys, though. It, it makes the it demand. exclusive, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, when we got our basketball jerseys from the yard sale, who else... Who else has a real basketball jersey from UCF? Unless me, you play at UCF. DJ Pav? Yeah. Not a whole lot of people. Yeah, no, I agree. I like the exclusivity of it. Um, but I, if if I had to rank them, obviously I'd say this year, last year, and the first year. I mean, the first year was just our black jerseys with the Sonon Triangle and cool helmets. Last year was insane, although I don't like the font we used on the names. It was like a little too out there. Like the upside on V is the A, and I don't oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was on that one gripe. This year, though, the white, awesome one, two, the NASA and red on the legs is just, man. It's so, it doesn't, it clashes with like the white and the canaveral blue and the black. The red just pops, but it's like, it looks like the friggin' side of a space shuttle's on everyone's legs. Like, blast off. I just, like, I tweeted this earlier. It's like, I feel bad for whoever's in charge of designing next year's jerseys, because I think <laughs> we have to, like, scrap the whole constellation concept and just try something totally new, because I don't think they can get any better on what they're doing now. So, that's kind of my thoughts. Alright, let's wrap this up. Couple things here. Basketball starts in a week and a half. First game, November 9th, at home versus Prairie View, and then I think the next night or the night after that's Miami. Big home game. So get ready for that. Get your basketball season tickets. We got ours. We're sitting in like the second and third row on the baseline. Hope to see you guys at some games. Moo, you got anything else? Yes, we want to make sure that you guys stay tuned to the podcast. We're going to be doing some awesome giveaways here in the next couple of weeks. Big time. We do have some basketball tickets to give away throughout the season. You know, we have awesome home games against. Number 14th ranked in the country, Memphis. USF game is on a Saturday. Also, USF away game is on a Saturday. I'll see you at both. And Charlie. Seems like two, <laughs> seems like two road trips to me. Yep. And uh, yeah, so basketball is here. Get excited. Get hyped up, man. We really need to support this team. A lot of new faces this year, and we'll dive into that into the weeks coming. But, um, you know, we're hot off a very, very, very successful record-breaking year last year. And 
although it didn't end the way we wanted it to. We want to keep that momentum going as a fan base and as a team. Get behind these guys. Get behind Coach Dawkins. So very excited at basketball starting. Uh, one other thing, too. Today, we're recording Monday, the 19-year anniversary of UCF being Alabama on homecoming day for them at Alabama in the year 2000, game-winning field goal as time expired, and the rest is history. UCF is still 1-0 versus Alabama all time, and that was 19 years ago. Kicker Javier Borleggi, one of the best all-time kicker names I can ever have. <laughs> recall him and uh jet toner for <laughs> jet toner who's actually yeah. he got hurt but uh yeah dude if your name's leggy like you're not gonna be a quarterback you're gonna be a kicker right that's awesome but you know what's crazy this year's freshmen were like not alive for this game i mean we were only 11 but just saying it was the year 2000 so that's kind of crazy uh yeah you got anything else yeah, one last thing. If you're a new listener to the show this year, please, if you like us, give us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Like, subscribe, retweet, whatever it is. We really appreciate it. This podcast has grown completely 100% through word of mouth. We do no advertising nope. other than props Twitter. <laughs> That's about all we have. So, you know, if you like us, tell your friends to listen send in some questions you know how we love getting everyone on the air yep. uh, with their questions and the more you guys review us the more questions you give us uh the more exposure we get the better interviews we can have the better show better quality show we put out so it all starts with you guys really appreciate everyone's support and you know we love you and we really appreciate that so you know just tell a friend give a review it takes like two seconds and uh yeah and I'm really looking forward to seeing some more fans of the show at the game this Saturday. Houston, you know, noon kickoff. You know, last week I got to meet a bunch of different guys, uh, handed out some business cards, and was very surprised at how many people actually knew who we were. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. So that was awesome. Uh, but yeah. if you're out in Memory Mall, you know, send me a tweet, send me a text. I'll be out there. Yeah, I'm, I got to skip this one, unfortunately, but I'm doing this as sacrifice so I can, you know, catch up on some work and stuff and go to the Tulane game. So, you know, it happens I, when you live three and a half hours away. It's not easy to make every game. And uh, yeah, doing my best. But thank you guys for all the support, like we said, and we will talk to you next week. Go Knights. Charge on. Shots. Shots.